0: The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It reminds us of all that once was good. And the only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. No.
1: White
2: Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite. The official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly, on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLSCM Nine. Good afternoon and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. Thanks for hanging out with us this afternoon. Got about an hour of White Sox talk here with you on the Saturday, the final Saturday before pitchers and catchers report. That, of course, happens on Valentine's Day, the 14th for the White Sox. Could not be more excited. Of course, it's an excitement that builds up and then gets triggered, and then you wait a couple more days for actual baseball games down there in Phoenix. But fear not, we've got those coming up sooner rather than later. In fact, the 24th, yeah, no, the 25th, 26th, and 27th. 25, 26, and 27th of February, WLS will bring you the first three spring training games for the White Sox. Excited to bring you that stuff. The first one's against the Dodgers. Next one is against the Rockies. And then that 27th game is against the Chicago Cubs. Got a heck of a show for you this afternoon, though, before we get to the actual baseball. Here's what we've got going on in the show this afternoon. A couple of big guests. Uh, We'll start out with White Sox third base coach Nick Capra. Nick's transferring over from the player development department and moving on to the field, so he'll wear the pinstripes and everything this next season. We'll talk, Nick, about that transition, about why Uh, This was the thing he wanted to do. You know, also what the transfer does for the development side of the White Sox. You know, not only is is Nick going to, and in his own way, develop young players as they get to the 25-man roster once we start the season. And in camp when, you know, prospective big leaguers, potential big leaguers are, are working with major league coaches... Um, but he's also kind of handing off a baton to Chris Getz, and we've had Chris on the program a couple of times and talked to him at SoxFest. So there's there's kind of a, a transition going on, and it seems to be a good one. We'll discuss uh, all issues related to that a little bit later this afternoon. We'll also talk to Darren Jackson, White Sox analyst, here on the broadcast on WLS. A lot of changes, and, and this is kind of the big baseball news so far this past week. There are a couple of proposed changes to the very structure of Of Major League Baseball. None of them have taken root. None of them are are definitely going to happen yet, but there's a potential for some serious change, and uh, we'll we'll talk with DJ about some of the rules changes. uh, Potential rule changes. We'll set up some of those in the next couple of minutes as well. Uh, Rachel Brady also had a chance to hang out with Todd Frazier at SoxFest just a couple of weekends ago. Thought we'd bring you that. It's all set and ready to roll. You can check it out on the website, wlsam.com slash White Sox. But we thought we'd bring you the interview here on White Sox Weekly as well. A little cross-promotion, a little synergy here for the White Sox product on WLS. Also, speaking of, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter, of course, all throughout the offseason and in the season, at C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. I'll tweet out the link to that video with uh, Rachel interviewing Todd, uh, Todd Frazier. And, of course, uh, you'll also want to check it out. We'll tweet out this afternoon during the show a couple of links to a video that uh, our afternoon show, or our midday show, I guess. Bob Surratt and Marianne Murciano got a chance to hang out with Joan Mancada and Jose Abreu at SoxFest. Marianne is Cuban herself. She was born on the island and came over at a very young age, three or so, I think, if I remember her story co- correctly. And it's cool i've I've seen some of it check it out we'll We'll tweet out the links of course It's really cool to listen to both of them get to express themselves in their own language and and be themselves. There's a comfortability there that I think we don't get to see as as English speaking baseball fans. We don't necessarily get to see as much as as much as we could, so being able to to kind of access these guys in their own language. And that's something I talked with Ricky Renteria about quite a bit at Soxfest a couple of weekends ago. Obviously Ricky's bilingual and, and speaks Spanish as fluently as one can. It's it's cool to see and it's and it's interesting to talk about with guys who are bilingual like that, just the the transposition that happens in one's own head and the different I don't want to say moods necessarily, but the different attitudes that guys can kind of affect when they're Speaking in their own language, and when they're having to, you know, translate in their head, uh, whether it be a question or what they're actually saying, or just kind of, you know, do all the work around. So cool to see, awesome video, some fun stuff too. The Guys were all joking around, and uh, we'll tweet out those links at C1McKnight is the Twitter handle that you can follow all season long uh, for our news here on the White Sox on WLS. So no doubt you've heard, and, and this is kind of the big discussion here uh, over the last week or so in baseball. Uh, There are three really big potential changes to Major League Baseball. The rules, the very backbone of Major League Baseball uh, may, in fact, be changing. Here is what's been proposed to the Players Union, essentially uh, different spoonfuls, different sized spoonfuls. One is that baseball would like to eschew the intentional walk. No longer would a pitcher have to throw four wide ones To give a guy first base if somebody wanted to, uh, if a team wanted to intentionally walk a hitter, no. Instead, the manager would just point on down to first base. The batter would uh, ditch the helmet, ditch the bat, jog on down to first. Well, I guess you take the helmet with you. Uh, The bat, though, you got to leave at the plate. Head on down to first, and you get your free bag. The other one, uh, the next proposed change, and again, these all have to be you know accepted essentially by the union. So we'll see where that goes. And not too much time before spring training games start. So you would imagine that there's a little bit of pressure on getting these rules agreed to, if, if indeed they're going to be agreed to, getting them agreed to before games start. At least that would be my guess. Uh, but the other one is the idea that they'd like to move the strike zone up some on the bottom portion of the strike zone. They're not comfortable, or I shouldn't say not comfortable, but the Major League Baseball would like to move the strike zone up from, you know, the hollow of the knee to the top of the knee. Through different pieces of research and, and the good folks at Fangraphs and MLB.com, there's been a lot of, of research done on the strike zone itself. And it looks like since about 2009, the strike zone has gone about three inches lower. And pitchers are getting called strikes in that area where called strikes, swung strikes, the whole, the whole gamut, um, where it really isn't in the rule book a strike. More on that in just a second. The other one... And this is kind of a wild one. I mean, the no intentional walk, fine, whatever. It, intentional walks were at an all-time low last year. So the idea of removing them from the game and saving time is kind of, it's, it's not really, it's not going to cut you time. But I get that Major League Baseball may want to, I don't know, send a message that they want to speed up this game a little bit, I, I suppose. You're going to save about one intentional walk every two or three games. So about a minute every two or three games. If that does something for you, great, go get it. Smaller strike zone, obviously that's a big change, but one that's understandable. I mean, it's not altering the – it's altering the physics of the game, no doubt, and, and how batters and pitchers have to react to one another. But there have been smaller and wider strike zones throughout the history of this game. That's that's understandable. This one, though, a little bit different. And we'll talk through all of these with, uh, with Darren Jackson on the other side of the 1230 News and, and get a former player's take on what these rules may do. To guys, both inside and outside, their own brains. Uh, But what it might do to the game, too, in extra innings, in the low minors, I believe it's rookie ball, they're going to put a runner on second base to start extra innings. The idea is to speed games up a little bit. The idea is to stay away from having to use position players pitching. The idea is to stay away from marathon ball games that get out of hand and can really wreck uh, a ball club for for a day or two or even – four or five after playing one of these after playing one of these marathon sessions. So those are the proposed rules. We'll talk about all of that with Darren Jackson on the other side of the 1230 News. Of course, we'll wrap things up. I'll give you a couple of stats that I found on that smaller strike zone, on the intentional walks, and on extra innings, that, that proposed rule change too. All of those pending. We'll have to see what happens. But games start on the 25th of February, at least for the White Sox. And we'll bring you that one, of course, here on WLS. We'll see what kind of rules we're playing with. Take a quick break here, step aside, and White Sox third base coach Nick Capra is going to join us here on White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. Uh, we've got Nick Capra coming up in just a second or two, but I want to tell you this. The 2017 Ballpark Pass goes on sale February 21st at 10 a.m. For only 39 bucks. You can go to all eleven home games in April, excluding opening day. Plus, for a limited time only, you can add opening day tickets to your pass for an additional twenty five bucks. Don't miss out on this incredible value at an unbeatable price. Visit Whitesocks.comslash ballparkpass for more information. So Nick Capra, White Sox Third Base Coach, joining us here on White Sox Weekly, twenty two years in the White Sox organization. And you've worn a lot of hats over those 22 years. What prompted the uh, the move from player development to third base coach this year, Nick? Like you said,
3: I've been in the organization for 22 years, and um, probably 16 of them are me being on the field, um, which is kind of where my passion is, is to be on the field, and uh, to be an instructor and to teach, to coach. And uh, those are things that uh, you know I feel comfortable doing. Um, not that the, the uh, director of uh, part of Delta wasn't a, a challenging job. I really enjoyed that. I learned a lot from it, but uh, I think more. Uh, my, my passion was more to be on the field, and uh, the opportunity arose where uh, uh, Rick Granaria asked me if I wanted to join his staff, and uh, I said, absolutely.
2: So you know this this won't be altogether strange to you, though it'll be I, I think the first time you've been a um, a member of a, a managerial staff in in quite some time, right? I mean it's this is this is a little bit different than the on field stuff that you've done before, right? Well, yeah, it's been a
3: while. I managed the, the first like to come aboard the White Sox in '96, and I managed for the first ten years. So I was um, you know I had, did have the experience as a manager and. Um, and whatnot, running the running the club, and then uh, I was a hitting coordinator for a couple years, field coordinator, and the farm director. And um, so it has been a while since uh, I've been a member of, the, of someone's staff.
2: What what has the years in the I don't know front office, uh, technically speaking? What have the years as the front office, uh, as part of the front office, done for you know your coaching style? Have you learned things from being the director of player development and, and doing things from that perspective that you'll now take on field that you might not have thought of before?
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I think there's a learning experience, uh, you know, day in and day out in this industry. There's always, you know, the game changes, you change with the game. Um, as everybody knows, uh, the analytical part of the game is, is uh, a, a big part of it nowadays. And, uh, you know, I, I was around the people in the office that, uh, um, we're bringing that on board and, uh, you know, I kind of uh, had a first-hand taste of that. And, uh, so hopefully that will help, uh, uh, help down the road, you know, somewhere down the road.
2: You'll be in a position, too, I would imagine, at least the White Sox will be, where a couple of young players coming up throughout the course of the season perhaps will really impact the way the roster looks. Uh, from your perspective, what's what's your job when those guys, and, and even some of the younger guys that you already have on the roster, like Tim Anderson, what's your job as it pertains to uh, to young players coming up?
3: Well, that's where I think I have a little bit of an edge because, uh, you know, being in player development for so long, I know some of these kids. I know the majority of the kids that come up. Um, You know, at the big league level, I I think we're all on board that uh, with Rick and the rest of the staff, we're all on board that we still have to continue to teach at the big league level. And it's, you know, kind of refreshing to get a new face in there that someone's eager and young. and you know, chomping at the, at the big, big leagues and and hopefully stay in the big leagues and, you know, uh, the teaching part of it at the big league level is, is still important to this day. And uh, it's kind of uh, with these young kids that are coming up and will be there, they'll embrace it somewhat, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but somewhat more than some of the older guys that have been around for a while, but uh, uh, they all need a little refreshers course here or there uh, along the way.
2: What's your conversations been like with uh, with Chris Getz, who's come in and now has the, uh, the the player development title? Seems like a bright young guy. Seems like a guy who's who's ready to learn on the job and and take over some. Have you had you know kind of transfer of of powers kind of thing go on with Chris over the last couple of months?
3: Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, we, as everybody knows, Chris we drafted uh, Chris out of the University of Michigan, and I was managing in. Um, Canapolis here we signed, so we, uh, he, he, uh, uh, he played for the Canapolis club that I managed, and uh, so I know him from the ground zero. And, yeah, we have communicated a lot since uh, 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 the positions have changed. Um, I, I, you know, obviously, I told him that any, anything I could do to help him in the transition, I would. Um, you know, he's a pretty bright kid. And he's going to do a wonderful job. I don't know how much help he's going to need from me, but uh, I'm there for him if he needs uh, a little help along the way.
2: What are the ways that that the White Sox way of, of identifying players and developing players changed over over your time in that post, and how have you seen I mean the White Sox have a, a bunch of young guys ready to you know ready to ascend to the major league level and some guys who have you know whether it's guys like Marcus Savion or Trace Thompson who have moved on but have also made impacts at the major league level How, how have things changed? How did things change under your watch
1: You know, I think they changed.
3: From um, you know day one when I entered the organization, uh, through player development, the, the side that I've uh, been on forever is you know I think Kenny was a farm director when I come aboard and he, he had a different philosophy on how to do things. Um, he got to the general manager's job and uh, we went through a couple farm directors since then and you know, everybody's philosophy is a little bit different. Um, you know as of recent. You know, I I know in the past that we've, you know, in our development system, and I think this goes along with everybody else in the industry, you know, you have pieces and parts that you put together um, at the minor league level that can possibly help you at the big league level, whether it's a trade, you know, trade a couple of your prospects away to get a piece that's going to help you win a World Series, which we were fortunate enough to do in 05. Um, And now we're on the other side of that, where we're kind of in the rebuilding stage. We're we're trading some of our chips in... in, um, you know, uh, making our player development system a lot stronger than it has in the past. So it does change from time to time, and, you know, I think uh, we're all excited about the change we're going through now and um, bringing some of these uh, other elite uh, minor league players in and hopefully uh, getting them ready to play at the big league level here in the next few years.
2: We're talking White Sox third base coach Nick Capra here on White Sox Weekly for another minute or two. Uh, Nick, I want to ask you this. What's, what struck you most about working with Ricky Renneria? It's not like you didn't know the guy. Obviously, he was in the organization and, and there as Robin Ventura's bench coach last season. But now that you work with him you know pretty much on an everyday basis, where we'll be doing it as soon as we hit Arizona, what's, what struck you most about Ricky?
3: Um, we, actually, Ricky and I have history. We, we go back a few years. We played together for a year. We managed uh, against each other for a, a couple years, and I've known Rick for a long time he just say, you know, his wealth of information, baseball information, baseball knowledge is, is off the charts. His energy, um, his compassion for the game, you know, he speaks from the heart when he talks about baseball. And and uh, he has all those attributes that I think are are going to help him and us along the way um, to build confidence, help build confidence in these players that are there and the players that come up and, um, it, it's just it, 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 he's had the refreshing, you know, mentality and attitude that he brings along, that I think everybody kind of gravitates to.
2: So, third base coach Nick is, and I'm sure you know this. It's it's a lot like being a long snapper in the NFL. Uh, hopefully, nobody really has to point out what you did over the course of a season, because usually, if they do, you've you've sent someone and maybe run them into a catcher or so. What if? What have been your thoughts on, on preparing to know the outfield arms in this league, knowing the the speed of your own runners? Obviously, this, uh, the third-base coach could be a tough job at times.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it can be, but I think if you put the time in and you educate yourself on some of the things you talked about, arm strength, accuracy, you know, the percentage. of you know, I'm trying to do my homework and, you know, look at the percentage of these guys throwing people out, you know, uh, individually, and, you know, not only the outfielders, but the, some of the infielders running out on relay positions, you know, how their arm and accuracy works on throws to the bases into the plate. And, you know, I just got to, you know, study and and uh, be prepared when uh, uh, the bell rings uh, on game day.
2: One of the things that I was, you know, obviously I'd covered baseball before I, I took this job last season, but watching 162, you know, every day – over the course of a season, you, you notice some things that maybe he didn't before. And I was league-wide, not, not just with the White Sox, but league-wide with anybody that came in uh, to guaranteed rate or anybody like that. I was I was surprised how often teams would send runners and dare people to make the perfect throw. You see that at lower levels because you don't have enough guys who can make the throws. But even at the major league level, I was a little surprised with how often Guys were sent, and how often arms were were tested. Has that changed some, or has the onus always been on the fielder to make that perfect play?
1: Well,
3: I don't know if it's changed that much. Uh, the game has changed a little bit, where runs are at a premium nowadays. Yeah. Um, so you want to be aggressive, and obviously, I'm going to be an aggressive third base coach. Obviously, there's times when you can run, and times when you can't. But we're going to. You know, push the envelope a little bit. I don't know how many. You know, offensively, I don't know how we're going to be, in, um, if we're going to be a, a run scoring team. But uh, we'll, we'll play the we'll play the scoreboard and be aggressive when we can and take our chances when we have to. And um, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, who's hot, who's not, who's coming up next, who's in the hole. All those things kind of come into play. And um, you know what what portion, of the, you know, what ending of the game you're in. They, they, Bringing you know their seventh eighth inning guy in they bring their closer and all those things kind of come into play. You uh, have to think about somewhat, but runs are you know they're 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 not easy to get nowadays, and we want to take advantage of every little thing we can.
2: Last one here: the uh, the Major League Baseball has. It, it sounds like they're going to test this new program in the low minors of putting a runner on second base when extra inning start, and it sounds like the idea is to see how that might work and. Potentially use it in the major league. I, I, I don't know if you have a thought on on starting with the runner at second base. I've I've seen it before in college, I guess. But is, is that a is that a good thing to explore?
3: You know, uh, anything to speed up the uh, the game. I think's what they're trying to do. Yeah. I'm a traditionalist. You know, I'm an uh, old school guy that you know grew up with baseball and and studied the old timers and, and and played the game of baseball. So I'm kind of an old school guy, traditionalist and. I like the way we're doing things now. Obviously, there, we want to try to speed games up, but you know, if this is something that the industry um, agrees on and wants to implement, then we go along with changes.
2: It seems seems to me you'd start that extra inning with a runner on second, and more times than not, you're going to get a bunt to start that inning off.
3: Yeah, it just depends on the philosophy. Each, each team, each manager has different philosophies on it. You know, a lot of yeah. A lot of teams don't like the bunt nowadays. They want to, They don't want to give up that out. So that might come into play. You know, they only, it's funny you say that. The only time I've ever seen this play uh, this done was in the girls softball. My both my daughters play softball. And they put a they put a runner at second base. Right, and, right. You know, sometimes sometimes it would it would speed up the game, and sometimes the game would go on forever. So uh, it, it's just another, I think, strategic part of the game that they're trying to explore and see if it'll uh, help and speed things up.
2: Well, we'll see what happens this season, Nick. Always good talking to you. We will catch up again in uh, in Arizona not too long before pitchers and catchers report.
3: Yeah, we'll start Tuesday, and uh, I think everybody's excited to get going. I know we're excited. The staff, I'm um, headed to the ballpark as we speak. There's a lot of guys that showed up early, getting ready to go. So it's it's that time of year.
2: Awesome. Looking forward to it. Really appreciate you taking the time for us this afternoon. All right, Connor. Thank you. Big thanks to White Sox third base coach Nick Capra for joining us here on White Sox Weekly. On the other side of the 1230 News, we'll talk with Darren Jackson of the White Sox play-by-play. You can join us for a fun season of White Sox baseball with your own customized Pick 7 or Pick 14 plan. Choose your favorite games and promotions. You get to enjoy savings off individual game ticket prices. These plans are available right now, so secure your seats before individual tickets go on sale. For tickets or more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash season tickets or call 312-674-1000. More White Sox Weekly coming up, WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. The most popular way to follow White Sox baseball is with the MLB.com at Bat app. It's the number one app for live baseball. You get to enjoy live look-ins, highlights, game day, scores, Statcast live radio broadcast and much more get mlb.com at bat on your favorite devices now i'm connor mcknight thanks for hanging out with us this afternoon we head to the phone lines right now and it's darren jackson welcome back to white Sox weekly i know you had been uh waiting your next appearance with bated breath happy to have you back on the show and and looking forward to uh to hanging out in uh, arizona in just a couple of weeks it's not that far away
1: no it's it's upon us that's for sure i was just talking with uh my family, how basically we've got two weeks and it's time to go to work, simple as that. And I know uh, I'm excited about the fact of what's getting ready to take place with this young, exciting team, and we get to see them. I guarantee right at, right out of the gate we'll see these young kids uh, and what they're capable of doing.
2: Oh, no doubt. And and I know we're going to talk a lot about this White Sox roster and the depth that it now has, the the alterations that have been made throughout the next couple of weeks. But I, I wanted to call and, and talk to you about the proposed – couple of rules that have been thrown out there in a few reports over the last week or so. Because I, I find some of them pretty interesting, um, even if they're, they're maybe a little far-fetched. Uh, of course, there's the idea that we're going to start in some of the lower minors with a runner on second base in extra innings. There's the idea that uh, Major League Baseball would like to raise the bottom three inches of the strike zone. You know, move from that hollow of the knee to above the knee. And then the idea that we 're going to do away with the intentional walk, I guess to start d j did one of them rankle you or or catch your attention more than the other?
1: <laughs> well, I think if anything you 're going to immediately go to a man on second base it 's like you know it 's like that automatic runner for the pitcher he doesn 't you know he hits but he gets stand there and somebody runs for him if he hits the ball kind of thing no right. uh, I mean it sounds crazy. But realistically, I, I get the point. Uh, I, I see where, you know, you, you want to give a team an opportunity to score as quickly as possible and not make a game drag on for 16 innings or whatever it may be. And my only comparison is, is when I was talking to you off mic a minute ago in Japanese. is In Japan, they actually had extra inning regulations. um You could only play 12 innings. That was it. Game over. If it was a tie, it was a tie. That was in the Pacific League. Hmm. And in the Central League, they had an actual time uh, that you were allowed to play a game in. And if you weren't done by that time, the game was over and a tie. So, you know, it's not unusual for me to see something different uh, compared to American-style baseball because of my time over there. So if they would all of a sudden incorporate runner on second base, let's see what happens from there. I think that makes things a little more exciting. But for me you still have to give yourself an opportunity. You're going to have to play, you know, 11 innings, 12 innings, and then let's go to the man on second base situation. I don't think you just go, oh, it's the 10th inning, here we go, let's put a man on second. To me, that's over the top.
2: Yeah, I think, and talking with Darren Jackson here on White Sox Weekly, I, I think what you, what you maybe run into is kind of the domino effect, like how how – managers would end up using relievers differently i mean with with a runner on second base you're essentially more than doubling the run expectancy in each inning uh, just based on the numbers i mean if you start to change the way you have to manage knowing that that thing is coming up eventually then you you really kind of you perhaps throw your whole bullpen out of whack for a week because of of one game even if you're just putting a runner on second base
1: well absolutely not only that i mean who who's the runner? Do you now carry a designated extra inning runner for a situation like that? Even though I know it's over sixty ex- percent expectancy that this runner is going to score, right? But I kind of I kind of I look at it. Okay, is it the guy that made the last out the inning before? What if that was a pinch hitter? What if and it was a pitcher? Pitcher in? Yeah, exactly. Same I mean, the, there's a lot of things to incorporate when you're just doing something that simple. It's it's not that easy unless you have an extra guy on the roster that can accommodate just sitting there all year long for the rare occasion that he needs to pinch run an extra innings, which obviously no team is going to want to do that, especially with the minimum wage the way it is. So, I mean, there's a lot going on with something as simple as this. We need a guy out there on second base.
2: Plus, who does the run get charged to? I mean, if that if that runner scores, is that the reliever who comes in? I mean, that would be otherwise be a clean inning. Who gets tagged with that run?
1: Exactly. There's so many implications. Not only that. You know, there's there's been bantied about for years, you know, that especially pitchers feel this way. There should be a team run, not a uh, designated run for a pitcher that gets up a run when there's a mistake. Yes. That is, you know, like a fly ball lost in the light that should be caught and everybody mm-hmm. knows it. Mm-hmm. And yet it's an earned run. I mean, maybe it becomes something like that. It's a team run given up, not to an individual instead.
2: And I guess just to round out the extra innings idea, I mean, they're going to run it in the low minors and see what happens. I'm sure these specifics, you know, the questions that we just asked, they'll, they'll have to come up with answers to it at some point in this season in the low minors. But the other, you know, kind of part of this is if, if that first run scores, right, in the top of the, whatever, 15th or something, when we put that extra runner on, in the bottom, especially if there's only one run scored – we're going to see a bunt to lead off that inning. I would imagine, what, 75% of the time, right? Because you you play to get that one first and then you keep going.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't be a complicated strategy except for everybody's anticipating that particular play. So now as a manager, you have to think outside the box at times. You can't just all of a sudden say, well, they know I have to bunt them over. They've got to run. We can't try and move them over. So there's so many different aspects when it comes to the predictability of what's going to take place. But yes. If I'm down a run already, instantly you're saying, bun him over and get him in. I mean, you might bunt him over and squeeze him in just to tie the game, and then what are you doing? Okay, let's do it again next inning. It becomes uh, repetitious, to say the least.
2: Yeah, and you might be gripping and ripping for a long ball to to go ahead and win the game, and we're back to where we started. DJ, let me read you a stat. Did you know, I'm sure you did, we actually talked about it last year, 21.1% of plate appearances last year ended in strikeouts, and that is the 10th straight year that that percentage – Has either stayed the same or increased. With the idea that Major League Baseball has thrown out to the players' union, and granted they got to ratify it, of of moving the strike zone up from below the hollow of the knee to the top of the knee, does does that, in your mind, what does that do to the game given those stats I just read you?
1: Well, I, I don't think the strike zone is the problem, to be honest with you, because it used to be a much wider, higher, or lower strike zone than what we're seeing right now they're becoming more unified within the strike zone. Most umpires are agreeing that they think the pitches need to be more consistently called uh, throughout the league, not just individuals like they have their own strike zone. Now, I, I think the change is this. The reason that the numbers are up for the strikeouts is uh, teams don't care as much. They have not cared. They're saying, okay, it's not as important. We, we're we not worried about strikeouts. Players don't care. They're trying to hit more home runs. They want to see themselves on highlight films. Hey, you see how far I hit that. So there's no more uh, importance put on, hey, make contact. We need to make contact. Choke up. Make contact. There's no more Joe DiMaggio's, dude. I'll worry it's uh, 500 home runs, 400 home runs in his career and strikes out 300 times. That, just, that, that doesn't happen anymore. There's, there's, no, there's no type of player that's going out there that's going to put those type of numbers up. Yeah, I mean, you look at somebody, to me, I look at somebody like Mike Trout, who you look at, you've got speed, power, tremendous all-around athlete, and yet you look at his strikeouts and you're blown away. He strikes out 115 times, 120 times a year. And I'm thinking, you know, Mike Trout, I wouldn't assume that somebody that runs as well as he does and hits 300-plus still strikes out that much. So it's really across the board. I think it's just accepted in the game now.
2: So if that approach is accepted, you know, if, if organizations and hitters are kind of accepting that approach, and then we take that bottom three inches, give or take three inches, away from pitchers, Does that mean then, I mean, given that that kind of line, doesn't that mean that that hitters are going to see more pitches they can hit?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. The the strikeouts will definitely go up. I mean, down, that is. There won't be as many. It does create a problem. Now, you think about this. If you're a sinker ball pitcher and you hear something like that, I don't think that's an argument that a a league is going to win because now you're saying, I'm going to hang a sinker? to this home run hitter, I don't think that's going to make me successful. So I I honestly, I don't envision that becoming something that works in the game of baseball, Um, raising the strike zone. If anything, it would be lower the strike zone, Uh, you know. Don't help hitters more than they are already doing it. But, you know, I'm always in favor of pitchers being more successful in the sense that using their quality pitches to get guys to be aggressive and swing the bat and put the ball in play. Uh, To me, the quicker out, the better. Let's not worry about strikeouts. Even though we're seeing more and more pitches, guys like to look and see their velocity. I throw 140, and I'm going to strike this guy out. All the things, all the gadgets that are part of the game now, I think it's all, all part of what we're seeing in the change. It's why individuals now are worried about striking him out more, and this guy's trying to hit the ball farther. Look at
2: the exit velocity.
1: I mean, there's so many things that are in the game now that players are more worried about than just going out there and winning the game.
2: So, as as baseball, like as a as an organization, you know, from the commissioner's office and from that perspective, as as baseball from that perspective tries to find this middle point, the equilibrium, and making sure the game moves to the pace that they'd like it to move, and also has the action in it. Where where are we at from your perspective? I mean, you're a guy who's who came up through the minors, saw it from different perspectives as a player too. Where where are we at on that graph?
1: Well, you know, the, the, the areas, to me, the only way you can really improve the time of games and make it more efficient is you've got to eliminate all the dead time out on the field. You've got to speed. You've got to have a yeah. pitch time. You've got to get that pitch going. you also got to eliminate the visits to the mounds, whether it be the catcher, the infillers, the pitching coach, the managers. That stuff has got to be limited. You can't go out there. And have a catcher go out three, four, five times, and then need to talk to a pitcher. That the pitching coaches tell them to go out there and say something to them. Now all that stuff has got to stop. And you're probably talking about saving 15 minutes a game, easy, just by eliminating those moves in itself.
2: Amen. Amen. Preach. Did you, uh, <laughs> did you ever in the minors or in the majors were you ever getting intentionally walked and the pitcher left one a little bit over the plate and were you able to take a whack at one?
1: Um, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, but not necessarily that is, is the issue when it comes to eliminating the intentional walk altogether and just saying, go to first base. I also was a teammate of Mitch Williams. Oh God. Wild thing. Yeah. I saw him throw one a few times to the back of the screen and a run came in the score from second and third were loading the bases. There's one back to the screen. Here comes a run. So, I mean, you do still have that aspect of the game to where somebody can be terrible at the intentional walk and it could change the outcome of the game. So if you eliminate that part of the action of the game, uh, okay, you you do lose it. But, you know, as you well know, you're a, a stats guy. Percentage-wise, that's like point percent of of 100 of yeah. that that's going to happen. So it, it's really, in the end, I get the point, but I have seen to, where it's changed games where guys just cannot pitch out to intentionally walk somebody
2: no doubt intentional walks were at an all-time low last year in baseball but uh, but you're right i mean when it when you screw it up it really can go bad real quick
1: <laughs> hey look we're looking at the you know uh, not a highlights film, a low light film guys doing this and we can look at it forever these bloopers so uh, if it's eliminated you know what i honestly don't have a problem with that part of the game
2: disappearing DJ, appreciate you checking in. As always, great talking with you, and we will see you in Glendale in, uh, in a couple of days. Thanks, man.
1: All right, kind of Be well.
2: You got it. That's White Sox analyst Darren Jackson. You can catch him here on WLS, of course. He and Ed Farmer do a fantastic job on the play-by-play for your White Sox. You can bid on unique memorabilia from some of your favorite White Sox players, including Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Carlton Fisk both Jackson, Carlos Rodon, and more, in weekly online auctions. Visit whitesox.com slash auctions to start bidding. We'll be back to close things up here on White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS AM 890. Closing it up here on White Sox Weekly, our last without baseball players doing baseball things, at the very least. Pitchers and catchers report next week. So our next show... Uh, we will be, let's see, we'll be a week away from baseball, from actual, honest to God, well, spring training baseball on the 25th. I'm pretty pumped about it. I know DJ is, I know Nick Capra is, I know Todd Frazier is. You'll hear from Todd in just a minute or two. He had a chance to hang out with Rachel Brady, our White Sox reporter here on the station. We'll bring you that in just a couple. Uh, Just wrapping up a, a few things From the proposed rule changes here that uh, DJ and I talked about just uh, before the break. But I want to tell you that you can join us in Glendale, Arizona for White Sox spring training. Single game tickets for the 2017 Cactus League season at Camelback Ranch are on sale now. Tickets start at $10 per game with special promotions throughout the season. To purchase tickets online, visit whitesox.com slash spring or camelbackranchbaseball.com. You can also call one 800 352 0-2-1-2. Zero two, one two. The rule, The proposed rule that catches my eye most is the idea that we might be raising the strike zone just a little bit on the bottom inches, right? We're going to go up maybe three inches from below the hollow of the knee to above the knee. That's kind of the rule in theory. And in talking with DJ about it, you know, I, I understand a lot of uh, the premise. I understand a lot of the pushback, and I understand some of the advocacy for it. I don't know that you're necessarily going to speed up the game, by shrinking the strike zone. I would be surprised if that's what happens. You might see more action, though, and I get that. I get Major League Baseball wanting to see more action within whatever time frame they can establish for their baseball games. What I do want to tell you is this, and something that might be interesting to watch for, if that strike zone does get changed, some pitchers, and DJ mentioned this, some pitchers are going to have to change the way they work. And in fact, a couple of White Sox pitchers might be affected by, by moving the strike zone up just a bit. Jose Quintana is in the top 20 in Major League pitchers for getting called strikes in that bottom three inches of the strike zone, the zone, the, the, the area that we're talking about perhaps going away. Q likes to work down there, or at least is effective, working down there, getting called strikes in that bottom three inches. Carlos Rodon is among the top 20 pitchers in the Major League's who attacked that area, that bottom three, not necessarily getting the called strikes, two different categories, but attacking down there and getting guys to either swing and miss or ground out or take it. I mean, those are your options. And by and large, what's happening in that bottom three inches of the strike zone is guys are either grounding it out because you you can't hit 95, a two-seamer down there, or taking it, and that's there's just no action on those. Todd Frazier had a chance to hang out with Rachel Brady at SoxFest just a couple of weekends ago. A team leader for sure. And, of course, uh, some conversation around Todd as we head into spring training. Wanted to bring you that conversation. Here's Rachel Brady with White Sox their baseman Todd Frazier.
0: Does it feel different being at SoxFest this year?
4: Um, A little bit. we got a lot of younger kids. Uh, our kids are younger uh, players. And, uh, yeah, that's what it feels like, even though I'm only 30. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, we got a lot of lot of guys to break in, and um, you know, go from there. We got a lot of veterans, and uh, you know, both Spanish and English, so we can help everybody out. And I'm excited to see what we got. I'm excited to see who's going to make the 25 man roster. And uh, they got a lot. Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria uh, have a lot of uh, things they got to think about.
0: The big talk last year was the magic they said in the clubhouse, the team's chemistry. What is everyone talking about this season?
4: I don't know yet. We're um, I guess all the young guys we got because we haven't really. I haven't really talked to many people. I talked to Brett Laurie a little bit, and um, I think there'll be a lot more talks once spring training comes around. And uh, hopefully everybody's healthy and hopefully everybody's ready to go. I mean, there's there's not much right now we can talk about.
0: Where do you see your role on this team?
4: Yeah, I, I think I, I can be the leader. I think I can help the guys out. Uh, you know, um, you know, little things. You know, not necessarily baseball stuff. You know, how to dress, how to, you know. Just be that you know, young gentleman that you need to be on and off the field. And you know, once baseball stuff comes around, if if we see something, we can always you know go after it after a game or you know tell them right there. But I don't think I don't need to be barking at these guys. But I I think you know you have to be stern in what you do, and uh, so they can understand.
0: It is a young team. It's a rebuilding year. Is it a little awkward coming back into a season like that?
4: No, no. I I've been with it with the Reds. Um, You know, they they're supposed to trade everybody. They only traded two or three guys, but. You know, they have to know basically the White Sox way, I guess you can say, you know, for for better usage. But um, how we go about things, I think it's going to start with the first meeting with Rick Renteria and what he he, uh, wants to get out of us as players and uh, as a team, and um, we'll go from there.
0: What qualities did you see in Rick as being your bench coach last year that make him a great manager?
4: Um, Energy, energy. He's got a lot of energy, which I love, emotion. And uh, he loves the game of baseball. He's very passionate about it. Uh, wants to win, and uh, I think that's that's what we need in our leader.
0: Energy, Brett Laurie. You have a great relationship with Brett Laurie. Have you been able to talk to him in the off-season? A
4: little bit, a little bit. Uh, I've been watching some of the videos he posts on Instagram, and uh, it's unbelievable, man. He makes me laugh uh, every day. And uh, my son, actually, all of a sudden, he's like, let's FaceTime Brett Laurie, just like that. And <laughs> we FaceTime and they talk, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool, man. We got a good relationship, and uh, he's ready to go.
0: Do you feel a certain need to almost not protect yourself, but there could be the possibility that you do not stay with this organization? How do you mentally prepare yourself for that?
4: You just try not to think about it. I, I think it's uh, something not to worry about. It's not in your hands. Uh, I tell everybody until my agent calls me and tells me, you know, you might be going here, then I, then I'll start thinking about the possibilities. But there's there's a lot more to there's a lot more things to worry about when you got two kids and uh, you know you know you're going to be playing baseball somewhere. So. Uh, Wherever it is, it happens. Hey,
0: Blake's our broadcaster, right?
4: Yeah, he's a <laughs> in Disney World, man. He was so Brady funny. Right,
0: really he doesn't know his son is Blake, and yes. he, is, he admires
4: Hawk. He, oh, he loves Hawk. I remember we had, uh, <laughs> we had a bus ride home from uh, Detroit or something. I forget where, and him and Hawk just talked for an hour. It was unbelievable.
0: Okay, well, they need to check out the Instagram. It's on your wife's my What wife, – what is her uh, handle?
4: Her handle is, I think, uh, jfrage14. Okay. And uh, I don't have Instagram, but uh, my wife puts stuff on there every day. And uh, check it out. It's fun.
0: Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for talking with us, Todd. Uh,
2: thanks to Rachel and thanks to Todd for hanging out at SoxFest, bringing you the audio here. You can find all that stuff, all the links that we talked about with Bob Surratt and Marianne Murciano, with Yoan Mancada and Jose Abreu. At C1 McKnight on Twitter, or just head over to the website WLSAM.com slash White Sox. That does it for us here on White Sox Weekly this afternoon. One more little piece of information that I got to tell you before we say goodbye. If you want to stay up to date on all things White Sox this offseason, be sure to follow the team on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat for all White Sox related stuff like fest and on-sale dates and much, much more. You want to follow all the stuff on social media because uh, as soon as they hit spring training, as soon as they hit Glendale, they start posting stuff and you get to see the White Sox in a way that... Well, you can't find that stuff anywhere else. You just can't. They do it. We do a little bit for you, and uh, that's how you can stay close to your ball club when they hit Glendale for spring training. A big thanks to Nick Capra, White Sox third base coach, for hanging out with us on the show this afternoon. Thanks to Darren Jackson, though he is contractually obligated to hang out every now and again. We still thank him for doing it. And uh, thanks to Rachel and Todd as well. I'm Connor McKnight. We will catch you next week. Oh, and thanks to Justin Basic, our producer. We will catch you next week, noon until 1. We will have honest to goodness baseball to talk about right here on White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS, AM 8 night. You've been listening to White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Listen every week for White Sox Weekly, and listen to White Sox baseball right here. WLS AM 890.